All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Maybe curious why that's not the book of John. Um, found out that um, Adam was not feeling well uh, this week, so you've got back up today, um, and we're going to continue and finish the book of John uh, next week. And so we're going to stop, pause ourselves this morning, and consider four verses from the book of Hebrews. So it's going to be Hebrews chapter 2. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at HCC. Um, it really is an honor uh, to get to worship with you guys this morning. I can't wait to see what God might be up to in this text and for us. Uh, the title, if you're a title person, you need that, is Don't Drift and Don't Neglect. Don't Drift and Don't Neglect. And you need to understand something this morning that this message, this passage, has urgency to it. Now, it's true that every sermon that we preach here and every day of our lives should have gospel urgency, but I love when Bible texts put that in front of us, the importance of urgently following Jesus in this world. The realities of this text that we're going to see this morning are true, terrifying in some ways, and deserve to be honored and cherished and seen clearly. Like I said, it's just four verses this morning. Um, and what you'll see in these verses, what they command and compel us to do, quite frankly, is the point of the book of John. Um, the reason John wrote that book is so that we might know that what he said is true about Christ. And so the point here this morning is that all of us might slow down, pay close attention to our Savior and the salvation that he has purchased for us. And it's beautiful. At this time of year, Christmas time, Advent on the church calendar, seems like the whole world seems to slow down. And so this is a good opportunity for us as a church family to make sure that we are marked by paying much closer attention. So let's exalt Jesus together. I'm going to read all of it so that you can have it before we break it down a few different ways this morning. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 2, should be on the screens behind me. There we go. Okay, let's read this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we, we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we come to you right now praising you and thanking you that the message that we have is reliable. I ask by your spirit that you would show us where we are drifting, that you would renew our love for you and our resolve to follow you. And we are just thankful this morning that it's your grace that keeps us that you complete every work that you start. And so we ask, even as we see these tough warning texts this morning, that they would spur us on to greater obedience to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first word in verse 1 just says, therefore. And it's an important note for all of our Bible reading, Bible studying, that one of the best ways that we can honor God and his word is to truly read it, to follow the logic that is put in front of us in the text. 
Because the power of this is actually in the meaning and the realities that it shows us. And so when the word says, therefore, we need to know and see that the realities that come after this word get their power, get their force from the words that came before it. And so I'm going to give you a quick summary of Hebrews 1 so that you can see some of the glories of Jesus found in that chapter so that the therefore will make sense for what God's calling us to do as the people of God. So the first thing that we see in Hebrews 1, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to tell you, is that God speaks. We see this in verse 1 and 2. The book of Hebrews starts out with staggering claims that we have a God who has revealed himself to us, that we can see his glory, we can know his existence in creation and in our conscience. And he has spoken. He's revealed himself to us. We have the actual words of God. Hebrews 1 says that many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. At least one commentary sees that phrase to our fathers as shorthand for all the people of God in the Old Testament. And so what is clear though all throughout Hebrews and really the New Testament is that the fathers of the Old Testament are the fathers of those of us who are in Christ. And so God was speaking in the Old Testament times. But all of this sets up a contrast that matters greatly for us all times of year, but even now as we focus on God coming to us in Christ. Now, God speaks to us through his Son. Jesus Christ is the full and final revelation of God. It's the Word of God made flesh. So that's the first reality we see in Hebrews 1. God speaks. The second one is this. Jesus is better than everything, especially angels. Verses 2 through 14 makes the case over and over again in chapter 1 that Jesus is superior. He is the one who created the universe. He is the one who upholds it by the word of his power. He is truth. He is king. And in chapter 1 of Hebrews, he kind of picks these Old Testament ideas to paint a portrait of King Jesus for us that shows us the fact that he is the one that should be worshipped. The point was clear. Jesus is king and he is worthy of our worship. And the point of that, what's the point of knowing that God speaks? What's the point of knowing that he is king worthy of our worship? The point is that we should bow down before him. Um, I've heard it said before that nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to think about how awesome they are. They don't go there and think, man, I am incredible. Look at the mountains. I guess it's not even quite literally not a mountain. It's a canyon. Um, They would especially not say, look at those mountains. Otherwise, they would feel really bad about themselves. (laughs) The point is this. When you see majesty, you don't leave there thinking, I'm great. And so when the Bible puts this in front of us, it says, bow down before the king. He has created everything. He is mighty. He is worthy of our worship. We should see that majesty in the word of God and be humbled before him. God is holy. And in his character, he is loving. And it is true that we should be doomed in our sins. But Christ died for us, and he is the one that now sits on the throne. And now, because of those of us who are in Christ, when we see the majesty of him and his word, we can know that the holiness of God is for us by faith. It's still terrifying, but it's not damning because he is for us in Christ. So those realities, God speaks, Jesus is better than everything. Because of that, we should be bowing down. Look back at um, Hebrews 2.1 with me. Because of those realities, the author says, therefore, here's what we should be doing in light of those things. We must pay much closer attention 
to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And this verse right here is going to be the launching pad for us in this sermon. We need to get in this verse and have it get into our souls so that we might become the type of people, the type of church that live this out. We all need to truly hear this this morning because here is the frank reality anytime you gather in any group of people at any place. There are only two types of people in this room in the world. You have people who claim to follow Christ, which would include people who actually follow him and those who only follow him in name only, not true Christians. And verses like these are great for waking you up and spurring you on. So I know probably most of us in this room claim to follow Christ. So whenever you see these warning passages, it's meant to recalibrate, to wake you up, to pay much more attention to what you already know. The other type of person in this room, someone who does not claim to follow Christ. You're not a Christian. Maybe you're checking out church because it's Christmas time. You got invited by someone um, that cares about you. You, even you, need to see the beauty of what we're talking about. So a few observations about this verse um, before we get into exactly what it means for us. You need to see that there is grace in the forcefulness of this verse that should help bring clarity to your mind. Um, I love this. It says we must pay much closer attention. I love when the word tells us things that we must do. In a world full of optional fluff, it is good to actually get some clarity. We need this as human beings. We aren't designed to make up our own rules. We need to know, all of us can leave here knowing, what we are called to do as a people of God is to pay much closer attention to the word and the gospel. But note, in this verse... There's a positive command, what we should do, pay much closer attention, and then a negative warning for us. Do you see that? Lest we drift away. And so a warning in the Bible is a biblically-based threat motivation to help us be more motivated to obey the positive command. Do you see that? Therefore, because God speaks and Jesus is worthy of our worship, we must pay much closer attention. That's how we respond to this. We don't think, man, Jesus is great. I know enough. I'm good. You see that, you hear that, you go deeper in with Christ, because if you don't, you'll drift away. So the logic here, Jesus majestic, deserves the worship of angels and you. Because of this, you should pay much closer attention to the gospel. And if you don't pay closer attention to the gospel, you will drift. And so for you, for us, we should want the grace of God by his spirit to continue making us into the type of people that pay much closer attention and avoids drifting. The Holy Spirit does this in a few ways, but I want to highlight two. One of them is through repentance. Some of us this morning need to repent and turn from what is drifting your faith or distracting you from paying attention to the gospel. There are things in our life that do that, even good things. Even Christmas can do that. We need to repent of those things. And also we need to resolve. We need to leave here resolving to think, I'm going to pay much closer attention to the gospel that I know. And we're going to come back to this verse and examine drifting in more detail. But for now, I want us to see the reality of paying close attention. I'm going to read this again, show you a few things. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So if it's not clear yet, if we're not paying attention, we need to understand we must pay attention. Biblically speaking, we must hear the word and obey the word. 
Can I understand something for you in your own personal walk as you're um, uh, becoming more like Christ in sanctification? A great way to see what you actually believe about the Bible is to see what you obey in the Bible. Think about it that way. There's things in the Bible you're looking at, ignoring, thinking it doesn't apply to me, I don't care about that. Those are probably things that you don't actually believe. And I'm not talking about this to pile guilt on you about all the ways that you've drifted. Doing the opposite of that. I want you to know that the same word that convicts, and hopefully by the Spirit in his word, he's convicting you right now of like, man, I have drifted here. Or there is these things I'm putting on a higher pedestal than the gospel in my life. But the same word that convicts you is the same word that comforts you with the forgiveness purchased for you by Christ. And so let this command convict you. And by the power of the Spirit, you can be a person who pays much closer attention. One of the ideas behind the word much in this verse is the idea of abounding. And so the Hebrews 2.1 vision for the Christian life is one where we, as a church, as individuals, are abounding in diligence of paying much closer attention to what we have heard in Christ. So I want to pause and ask us, are we marked by this? Are you in your life? When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking, I've got to get closer to him? I want to pay more attention. I don't want to be bored by the gospel. I don't want to let these things I've already heard or already know just kind of slide over my mind and not care about it. Is that you? Are we marked by this as a church? Do we have congregational drift where we're not focused on the mission and on glorifying God with our lives? Are we distracted by everything else? These are things we need to wrestle with. It's a great time of year to do that. So, all that being said, pay much closer attention. What does the text say we are paying attention to? Look at the next part with me. It says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So what have the people in the time of Hebrews, when this is written, and us heard? The message of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The good news that Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us Back to God, forgiveness of our sins, not just brought the spiritually neutral, but given his righteousness, adopted in the family of God for his glory. And all of that by faith. Do you understand that? We can actually be saved from our sins. Man, this is one of the hardest things for me in my life. When I can hear that, that news, that I'm not going to hell anymore, and we can hear it, and ignore it. Or we can hear it, and we can be bored. Man, we need the Word to wake us up to these things. It should not be okay in our souls as Christians to hear this good news and it not move us. I'm not saying we manufacture emotions. I'm saying it should be something that demands our attention, demands the resolve of our souls to know deeper. That God has come He has died for our sins. On the third day, he rose again and is reigning and will return. That's what you should be about. That's what our church should be about. All about Jesus Christ, the person that he is, and his work that he has done and will do. Are we drifting? It's one of my favorite verses, um, two verses really, 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9. It shows us the importance of paying attention. I want you to see this. Verse 9, 
Excuse me, did I put eight or nine? Okay, that's good. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So contextually here, before these three verses, what we see is a list of godly characteristics that Christians should be growing in. And then he makes the point that if you're lacking growth, so think about your life. If you're not becoming more like Christ, you're not hating more of your sin, you're not taking steps of obedience, you're not loving him more and more daily. If you lack that, biblically speaking, it is because you have forgotten the gospel. Do you see that? Verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So it's saying, Christian, if you aren't growing in the ways that you want, it's probably because you have forgotten the power of the gospel to forgive you of your past sins. And because that is true, we don't just think, I'm good, past sins forgiven. Look at the therefore in verse 10. I don't know if I put that one on the screen. Okay, you can turn there later. In, in verse 10 it says, therefore, because that is true, as the church, as the people of God, we should be diligent to go deeper in obedience and gospel growth. So, verses 2 are going to take time, the, next, the last little bit of our section here in Hebrews, are going to take some time to show us more of the point that this message that we have heard is not a message that we can afford to neglect or ignore. So let's look at verse 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. For since the message, message of the gospel we were just talking about, declared by angels, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So this is where this gets a little bit interesting, and if you've uh, studied Hebrews before, you've seen this tension before. Um, this is talking about some old covenant realities. So we've got to ask, what is the message declared by angels? Um, the message declared by angels was the revelation of God at Mount Sinai when he showed himself to the people of Israel and gave them his law. Now, some of you are thinking, if you're like me when I first read this, the Exodus narrative, you're like, where are those angels? You're kind of wondering. Um, you actually see this in Deuteronomy chapter 33, shows us that these angels were present in this um, very crucial moment of God's revelation to mankind. So it's crucial that we don't let that kind of Old Testament um, distract us here, but it, the point is clear. It was a message declared by angels and proved to be reliable. So, so much of the book of Hebrews, and really the New Testament, as I've already said, is showing us, is showing these Jewish Christians who got this book, um, and of course us, even though I'm assuming most of us aren't Jewish in here, how the Old Testament points to and is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And so what happens in the Old Covenant? God rescues his people from Egypt and then gives them the law. Now, I bring that up to make sure you notice the order of this. God did not, this is so crucial for you, he did not come into Egypt, give them the law, and say, obey the Ten Commandments and then I'll save you. He didn't do that. He rescues them, shows them the law, and says, this is how you live as rescued people. And so, even though Christ fulfills the law, this points us to the new covenant and the gospel, it still shows us important characteristics about the will of God. 
So, in Hebrews 2, um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, what we see is that God reveals himself to his old covenant people in a way that shows his justice. Look at, the, look at that phrase. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So what does this mean for us? Neglecting to come to God by faith in the Old Testament deserved death. And this is just. God is not overreacting. And we don't have time even for us to go through all of the Ten Commandments right now, but suffice to say that if you were to stack up against God's law, you would be 0 for 10. The law did not come to show people how great they were. It showed them the greatness of the holiness of God, and they saw their great need for God and faith. And so he sets up that picture that God came showing his justice in the law, how he revealed himself with a question in verse 3. I want you to see it. So if every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's the point for us. If people in the Old Testament were justly punished for neglecting God's salvation, how much more would those of us who are hearing the gospel after Jesus has already come and died and rose again, how will we escape such a great salvation? The point is clear. We won't escape if we neglect this salvation. And so what are we not escaping? The just wrath of God for our transgressions. Listen, saving faith is a faith that always comes back and wants to go deeper and will not neglect this salvation. Please hear me. Calling yourself a Christian and having no desire at all to go deeper should make you ask hard questions of yourself. Are you drifting? Now, all of us drift in some ways. That's true. Every day we wake up in a flesh battle where these things are pulling us away from this and we're drifting and we lose our focus on what really matters in life. But my question is, do we care? Are you coming back in repentance and by faith Right now, as you're thinking, man, I have drifted. I'm way off. Right now, do you care? What's your resolve right now? Are you saying, I think I'm okay? Or are you saying, I want to be back? It's a test for us this morning. Another question, are you neglecting this great salvation? Some of you came in here not knowing the Lord. You're neglecting it. You're saying, I understand. I hear what you're saying. I don't want anything to do with it. But the harsh, difficult reality of warning passages, especially in the book of Hebrews, is that your drift and your lack of care about your drift could be indicative of ultimate neglect. Could be. So we have to ask, are we anchored to Christ by grace through faith this morning? Or are we drifting? So let's see the rest of these verses and show how this word shows us how great this salvation really is. So it says in Hebrews 2, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So, very clearly, what it shows us is that Jesus came um, proclaiming this message. See, it says it was declared at first by the Lord. So Jesus comes on the scene proclaiming that the kingdom is here. We see this all over the Gospels, but I want to show you one in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. should be on the screen for us. There it is. And Jesus was saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe 
the gospel. So, the Old Testament, the prophets, all pointing to this moment where Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is no longer coming, it has come. And then we see the greatness of this kingdom in all the gospels, like the book of John that we've been going through. And then at the end of the gospels, um, most particularly and probably most commonly in Matthew 28, we see that this Jesus who brought the kingdom sends his followers to continue his work. Look at verse um, 18 of Matthew 28. You guys should know this. You've been around church. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what happens next with this message? Jesus comes. He brings the kingdom. He is the king. He is God in the flesh dies, rises again, sends his followers out, spread this kingdom message. And then in the book of Acts, what we see are his followers continuing that kingdom work. And that's actually what verse 4 is describing for us in Hebrews 2. It says, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So as the people of God followed Jesus' marching orders, God did miracles and he gave his people gifts so that they might accomplish their purpose and their mission. So, two points to see from verses 2 through 4. I think it's so crucial in our life in Christ. The first one is this. This salvation is amazing. It's too good to neglect. God has been saving people and bringing his powerful kingdom since the beginning of Jesus' commission. You ever just take a moment and look around this room? That... Those people in Acts kept sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel and sharing the gospel, which eventually got to someone who eventually told you. The gospel kept going, and it even got to us. Do you realize that every Sunday, this is a miracle, that a group of people this size here rallying to worship Jesus and get around the gospel and then use our lives on mission in this city? You should be amazed that he saved you. He's been pursuing his people. And even if you aren't a Christian this morning, you need to understand, you are neglecting this salvation right now. But I want to challenge you. You should look around this morning too. I know most of the people in here. They're not faking it. They love Jesus. And they're not foolish. We really are giving our lives to this. So even if you're someone who's maybe you're not on board... I want you to at least see that the people here on in this day, in this church, in this Sunday, we really believe this. We believe God has come and died and rose again to secure our salvation and sent us to spread this gospel to the ends of the earth. And I could go on and on and on with stories from the last, I've been here six and a half years in this church. I could go on and on with stories that I gotten to see, not only in my own life, but in a lot of your all's lives, of God continuing to do miracles in our midst. What God is doing, not just what he has done in his salvific work, but what he is doing as the Holy Spirit opens hearts and minds to know and trust and treasure Jesus is great. Should not neglect it. Another thing I want you to see is the missional thrust here. Did you notice it said that it was attested to us by those who heard. Don't miss that those who heard told others. They heard the gospel and they spoke it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And one of the things that we have to do as a church 
is make sure that every single person who connects with our lives or with this church hears the gospel. We can't hold it in. If you don't think that you can share the gospel, I am begging you, learn how. Fill out a connect card. Come find someone on staff. Talk to someone in your community group. We have got to be the type of people that we don't neglect this great salvation by neglecting to share it with other people. So let that phrase alone catapult you into new resolves this morning. Salvation is too great not to share. How could we not pay attention to this? This book, this Bible that we have is unreal. It points us to the reality of God. It shows us a holy God of love and justice, a God that is building his kingdom and cannot be stopped, and it's a God that invites you in. This is the point of your life, to glorify God in Christ. We cannot afford to neglect this and not pay much closer attention. So we're going to circle back to verse 1 here, and we're going to do it with a focus on the warning of drifting. So let me read this again for us. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So remember the logic. Because God has spoken and Jesus is superior, we must pay closer attention to the gospel that we have heard. Because if we don't pay close attention, abounding in diligence of wanting to know more and more of Christ and loving him deeper, then we will drift. So understand this. This passage has hard edges. This is a warning passage. You're going to see these are all over the New Testament, but I think especially some of the more difficult ones are in the book of Hebrews. But you need to understand a reality that the author of Hebrews understood to be true. I've already mentioned it a little bit ago. It's worth repeating. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian or is connected to a church or ministry is actually in Christ. Warning passages sift us. They expose our fakeness. Not in a haughty, gotcha kind of way, but in a grace-filled warning to wake you up and ask, where am I putting my trust for my salvation? Just because you grew up in church or your uncle was a pastor or you know Christians doesn't make you in Christ. And I'm passionate about this because this was me. I had incredible parents who kept God in front of me the whole time growing up. But it wasn't until my freshman year of college when it all made sense. I was neglecting something my parents kept in front of me, the churches we were a part of kept in front of me. But you have to see this for yourself. At the same time, when I say things like that, there's some of you in this room, in here, that are followers of Christ. Maybe your consciences are more sensitive and it's easy to feel really uneasy whenever I say things like this. You start thinking, well, that's probably me, or oh my gosh, how could I ever know? I've, I mean, I've drifted. I mean, you know, you're thinking of all this stuff and it's easy for you to start to question your salvation. I don't want to do that either. I don't think God wants us guessing if we are truly his, but he does want these warning passages to move us to work out our salvation and test our faith so that we go deeper into it. And so let the warning stand. There is a way that if you don't pay much closer attention to what you have heard, you can drift. But the response is the same for all of us in here. We should be repenting and recalibrating here. The way to God is through Christ, and the way to Christ is through faith in his death and resurrection. And what faith looks like is turning from sin and loving him demonstrated by obedience and love for Christ. But you miss this if you get the order turned around. 
You are not saved by your good works or your good connections. It seems like the author of Hebrews was really concerned that people who claimed Christ finished the race and had persevering faith. Because it's just true that faith that doesn't finish is futile and not real. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So I want to take a moment to pause here, to kind of put this in in your all's laps. I want to show you some other biblical categories so that the reality of this verse of not drifting helps us. Um, I think this is crucial for you to see. So I'm going to do three things. I'm just going to call it the anatomy of a drift. It's three things, the anatomy of a drift. I'm going to tell them all three to you, then we're going to back them up biblically um, before we sing and celebrate this morning. So, number one, if you're wondering, my goodness, what what does drifting look like in my life? How do I avoid that? What is that going on? First one I want you to see is this. I want you to see how your own soul can drift in moment-by-moment decisions, either to choose sin or to choose Christ. That's the first one. Um, Drifts happen in those moment-by-moment decisions. Number two, I want you to see what role true community plays in making sure that you don't drift. And number three, I want you to see kind of a 10,000-foot view of what this can look like in our gospel ministry as a church. All right, we'll do that. We'll celebrate the gospel then we'll sing, all right? So the first one is this. I want you to see how your own soul can drift in moment-by-moment decisions to either choose sin or to choose Christ. My text for this is James 1, 14 and 15. It should be on the screen. It says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's what you need to know. You all have little battles to fight over and over again in your walk with Jesus. A lot of times, some of the big sins, like pride, are the same, but the way that plays out looks different for all of us. But you need to understand, just showing up at church and being happy is not what we are called to as Christians. We want to be people who go deeper with him. We're not content just saying, I was happy at church today. We want you to go into your workplaces on Monday thinking, Man, I represent the king of the universe. I get a chance to know him deeply today, and I want others to see him in me. So, but we drift from that, right? Every moment battles are when the drift can really happen. Um, You realize, I'm sure you realize this, you live long enough, no one wakes up thinking, I think I'm going to ruin my life today, right? You don't have like these big catastrophic sins. You don't wake up that morning and think, you know what? Today's the day I ruined my marriage. Today's the day that I'm going to do fill in the blank, this big sin, and absolutely shipwreck the people who love me in my life. This happens, usually, with a slow drift. And so what the Bible says, we are tempted when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. So you need to understand this. James 1 teaches us, listen, you are the reason that you sin. There's no devil made me do it. There's no, that person made me this. It's clear. We sin because we want to. And so for non-Christians in the room, you need to understand that all you can do is sin. The Bible is clear in Romans 14 that anything that does not come from faith is sin. But for Christians in the room, you need to understand there's a desire war happening in your hearts, maybe even right now. 
Your sin nature, your sin desires, and the Holy Spirit in your new nature are at war in those moment-by-moment decisions. And so when you choose sin, you're letting the old dead you win. You're choosing it. But the power of the Holy Spirit means you are able to choose holiness now. And so when this evil desire in you meets a temptation in the world, James 1 says they have a bouncing baby sin. (laughs) What it says, they conceive and a sin happens. And if you let that sin thought or that sin emotion or that sin desire continue, it kills you. And so one way we have to be marked by paying attention and not drifting is this. In those moment-by-moment things, we know our temptations. If you don't know your temptations, you might be blind to those. Get someone who loves you to show you where they are. We starve our sinful desires, doing whatever it takes, and we feed our new desires. Prayer, Bible study, community, so that we might be the type of people who don't drift. People who claim to be in Christ and drift away because they don't actually know him, are those who hear these truths and continue feeding the sin and don't care. So please understand, for those of you who are sensitive conscious, that's kind of rattling you a bit, you need to understand, your fight against sin, your hatred for sin, is evidence of true faith. You can't hate sin without the power of the Spirit. You can hate the consequences, you can hate feeling bad, but you can't hate sin. And so don't be discouraged when you see more of the sin that you hate. That's the point of sanctification. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you're not like him. And then by his spirit, you put that sin to death and you move on to the next one. Because you're trying to kill everything that is robbing you of the joy found in obedience in Christ. So that's the first thing, in the moment-by-moment temptation. Second one, I want you to see the role that true community plays in making sure you stay the course. This is found in two passages in Hebrews that I want you to see. It also should be on the screen. Hebrews 10, 23 through 27. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Sounds like uh, keeping the faith, not drifting. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the key. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So what is God saying in Hebrews 10? We are to hold fast and we are to stir up one another to keep going. That is part of why going to the basement after service is so important. Yes, it's good to face forward and sing and to hear the word preached, but we need you to stir us up. The day is drawing closer. Jesus will return. The second advent's going to happen. Let's spur one another on to more Christ-likeness and not drifting. We don't neglect to keep coming back. And I'll be honest, I've been doing ministry long enough to see, not always, but very, very often, when you see someone eventually drift away from Christ and they don't care about Jesus anymore, oftentimes that first step is they just stop showing up. It's not that church attendance is how you get your salvation. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the people who continually neglect and do not prioritize being with people because God has designed us to be spurred on and to not drift by community. And I hope this is breaking your heart for people. This is why we keep inviting people back. This is why we are annoying for Jesus' sake in kind ways, of course. 
And it's okay if we're a church marked by people who when we notice someone's not here, we let them know that we miss them. We can't wait for them to come back. It's not just to say, oh, no, there's a pew empty. Who cares? The point is that when you neglect community, you are vulnerable for drifting, and you are vulnerable for neglect. Hebrews 3 says it a different way. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Man, you see that? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So what do we do about it? Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. How do we avoid falling away from the living God? We exhort each other so that people hold their confidence until the end. Listen, you cannot afford to not have time for biblical community. You can't. And as people who are in the community, we can't afford to not look at that dear brother and look at that dear sister who's struggling and exhort them and love them and show them that the confidence they originally had in Christ is worth keeping. We have to be marked by this. We can't be a church that is just content with moving forward as people fall off to the side. We can't afford to be that. Lastly, number three, I want you to see a 10,000-foot view of what this looks like in gospel ministry. Uh, this is often called the parable of the sower, parable of the soils. Um, this is very key. Matthew 13, 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another 30. So what is Jesus teaching his, his followers about gospel ministry? That some are truly in Christ and they produce fruit. They hold their confidence till the end. Some won't even hear it because of the enemy's work. Seed goes out, it's snatched. Some spring up and look joyful but have no roots and they fall away when things get hard. And some spring up and get choked out by the cares of the world. They drift because things look better than following Christ. So what do we do? We keep throwing seed, and we beg people to love us enough to help us check our hearts and trust Jesus day by day. So as the band makes their way back up, just want to put this before us. Um, one thing we can do right now is to praise the one who never drifted in your place. <laughs> right now, we get a chance to pay closer attention to Jesus. I wish that we had time with texts like this. It's easy to kind of sift things up. And I wish we had time to sit down with every single one of you to help you see the drifts and encourage you where you need encourage and challenge where you need challenge. But I want to challenge you to get alone with the Lord this week and beg him to show you the drifty spots in your soul. But the only way we can do this is not by a motivational speech. It's not by getting fired up one Sunday and then leaving and being different or trying to be different for the sake of Christ. It is by the Spirit of God using the Word of God to convict you and show you 
the preciousness of Jesus because he never drifted in our place. So I just want to leave this here before we stand and sing. All these realities of Christ, all that it means of the book of John, but even this time of year, what should we do? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's stand and sing.